exciting to chat to you, Selena Gordon. I'm going to pretend that I'm in a live studio and that there are lots of people that would clap right now. In fact, oh, if you are at home, please do clap. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hello, Gemma. Hello. I've gone all Friday night on, on everyone because I wanted to make this quite a ceremonial launch party because I guess you are celebrating right now, are you? Well, yes. I mean, the book came out last Thursday, so the last seven days have been pretty crazy. But um, yeah, it's so lovely to share this event with you, Gemma. Thank you. It's great to see you. It feels really good. It does feel good. And mostly because I'm a fan. And I love the fact that I'm such an enthusiastic fan of people and I get to meet them for my job. It's really, really cool. Um, there was a moment recently which I think other people who are watching would have shared perhaps as well and if they didn't they should definitely put it on a list to relive again because it's available to listen again and it was when you read from your new book Mrs Death, Mrs Death on Lauren Laverne's Six Music Breakfast show and it was a moment for me of radio magic and I'm a huge radio geek I've been in the broadcast industry for over 10 years but you don't get magic often. And it really did stop me. I was sweeping the kitchen and it stopped me in my tracks. And it just gave me some sort of life affirmation, some sort of kind of, I guess, spiritual. I think, you know, I'm allowed to be as woo-woo as I always have been secretly now <laughs> in 2021. Um, and it just felt like, it felt like um, we were all mourning together, perhaps. How was that moment for you? And, and if people didn't see it, what was that moment? Yeah, that was a very emotional <clears throat> moment for me too. Um, I nearly cried on air. I suddenly realised that I hadn't spoken to anyone uh, for, for, for days and days for, you know, anyone other than my close, you know, a close family and just hearing Lauren being all so kind and she's so friendly and kind. I was like, <laughs> it was really, and it was David Bowie day and, you know, we all love and miss him. So, and, um, so, and there's, there's, there's some writing about David Bowie in the book and so, um, and Prince. And all of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it, it was a very emotional moment. Um, thank you so much for your lovely tweet that day. It really made me smile. Thank you. It was a good moment for us all, so thank you. Uh, let's talk about the book. I'm going to talk about lots of different things, but we are launching this book. It's the first seven days that it's out. It's your first novel, even though a lot of people already love you and love your work and writings. It is quite the feat to write a novel, particularly, and I'm guessing, because it may take one to no one, if you are a sort of a hive mind, an active person, you know, like if you have a lot going on in terms of, in, in a really beautiful way, in a kind of like, I feel like poets are, are sort of magicians. <laughs> write a novel, bravo, please tell me what it came about. Well, um, for a while I've been collecting deaths for for a while i've been collecting not some not really deaths but miraculous lives and miraculous moments of survival and courage and i hope that that shows in the book although death is in the title it really is more about life and hope and survival and 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 community and people you know and so um i was doing that but the, the i think the key moment was uh christmas time 2015 and i was walking through whitechapel and I quite, just as I wrote in the book, I heard a voice um, go, I know a lot of dead people now. And I was like, whoa, that doesn't sound like my usual internal dialogue or my usual way of speaking to myself. And that was the first time I started feeling like I was hearing this voice and I started building the character from there and writing. And that was the, the first sort of big chunk that I wrote, that chapter that's titled, I know a lot of dead people now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who write amazingly <laughs> um, do talk of, like you say, this kind of, this sort of other level of writing. It's a spiritual something. I, you might have a different language for it, and please tell me. In terms of it taking on its own form, it becomes like a baby that just is going to grow, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, even though it comes out of you. It's sort of, like you say, it literally came to you in a voice. Mm -hmm. Is that quite scary? <laughs> it, it is quite scary. And even sitting here, I feel, I feel, um, yeah, 
it, it's, there was a lot of magic, a lot of following moments of serendipity. I pay attention to things like that. I pay attention to coincidences and tiny moments. And so sort of matching those together and, and finding moments of magic. Um, and a lot of it comes from dreams as well. Um, they were very, very vivid dreams. For example, the character Tilly Tuppence was a was a dream and a, a reoccurring dream. And the Red Tower, so real and so vivid in my head that I spent hours googling, looking for Tilly Tuppence, and then realised it really was just something that you know, some some weird dream memory or some weird like it. It felt like a memory. It was really scary, terrifying, actually. Yeah. Mm. But beautiful to be able to package it up into a literary work. I think, mm. and I, because I think a lot of people might have like voices or <laughs> see, see magic. You see magic. Well, a lot of people, but they don't necessarily feel like they are worthy of putting it into a book. You know, mm. and, and to piece it all together. I want to talk to you about form because the book isn't straight up kind of, you know, your traditional novel, it takes on many different forms. How does that kind of happen in terms of the, how does it end up being a book? And was there at any point in the process, perhaps with editor, where actually that becomes quite complicated? Well, that's a really good question. It's quite complicated to answer, but I'll try. Nowadays, the way we take in a story, we we especially in lockdown, we have our phone in front of us, and we'll get we'll read we'll go we ju we are jumping from a poem to a song lyric to an article to a tweet to a joke to a meme. We're jumping from different forms, and that we're taking in information like that. So when I was writing the book, I was thinking very much about that and about the way when stories go through the decades and centuries through different tellings, Chinese whispers, how a real story then gets, you know, as the years and the decades and the story gets passed down, it changes and alters, becomes a joke, becomes a meme, becomes a painting, becomes a song, becomes a folk song, becomes a ballad. So I started sort of thinking about that. So the way different, um, so I was imagining being in Mrs. Death's head and her hearing people's last dreams, last thoughts, last regrets, last hopes, last loves, and it coming in like pieces of prose or poetry or a headline of a newspaper or a joke or a, you know, and so the, you get all those kind of layers or veils of time as the story's retold. That's what I was trying to show there, the kind of very much the traffic in Mrs. Death's head as she's remembering remarkable and also unremarkable, silenced, quiet, um, unmarked deaths. Yeah. I made a Radio 4 programme uh, a few years ago where we were talking about the effects of the internet uh, and uh, obviously there's a lot of fear around that in terms of how it is adapting us, changing our brains, perhaps making us have less attention etc. And, um, and one expert that I spoke to, I just suddenly remembered it, I can't remember their particular practice but they were I think a psychologist of sorts. And they said, of course, our brains will adapt. They said, this is not as scary as it seems. We are very agile as humans and we will be able to cope. It's just a sort of growing pain. Um, and it's unusual, you know, for us to be able to have such access to information, but we don't need to worry about like all of our children and our children's children, which I thought was quite an interesting concept and I also because I'm scared of all the internet I'm scared yeah, I know what you mean I'm scared of this <laughs> yeah it's scary no. <laughs> but at the same time I found that reassuring and, and quite exciting and I think when you are presented with a piece of work and a book and a novel such as Mrs. Death Mrs. Death which is like you, now that you're saying that you know it's kind of inspired by this swirling world that we all live in I uh, I find again quite reassuring that it's going to it's it's innovating and it's making it's making really great work in a traditional book a nice thing to hold yes yes <laughs> <laughs> I love holding a book and it is such a good looking book this I is the know. book cover and then we've got the white one which is just for indie and then we've got this one have you seen this one it's ridiculous. This one is the gold one with the gold oh, leaf. Stop it! What? What? Um, 
Yeah, so that that one you can only get in um, gold from Goldsboro Books. There's just really limited edition. It's like the like yeah, very posh. I've got sibling rivalry because we're both being published by the same people, and I'm like, I want gold. <laughs> <laughs> I want. <laughs> yes, yes. When is your when is your book coming, Gemma? Um, it'll be next year now, spring 2021. The Immortal. Okay. Which. That's what I think maybe why your work is resonating particularly for me at the moment because I am very emotional as many people are. I feel like I am like having a sort of weird elevational point. I don't know, I feel like a grown up finally, which has taken me ages. Do you? <laughs> yeah. What's making, I must ask you, what's making you feel grown up? It perhaps is like the acceptance of loss um, and just like the profundity, I think, of, of life, like it's not always a wonder. <laughs> and for me, that's actually me accepting myself as a woman in a way. I feel, and I feel, and you know, that happens with my work as well. I, I worked in youth culture for 10 years and it was yes. spinning top and I, I didn't, I couldn't believe that I was there. I had in some ways massive imposter syndrome, but I was having a great time. And mm -hmm. then now I really believe in my craft. Now I, I, I feel like I've been given permission to say that I could also be a writer, which I always secretly wanted to do, and I'm enjoying navigating that. Um, so I feel like finally I'm 35, and I'm like, okay, I accept it, I'm a woman, perhaps. Perhaps. Wow. <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> I hope, I hope. It's a great thing, I think women are wonderful. I think you're wonderful, I think women are wonderful. And Me the too. Immortal Sisterhood, is it, it, I think your work is really resonating because it's not too far away on the landscape, you know, like really considering like the toughness of life or the end of life and um, and also like the narratives of people. And, it, and I personally learn from women and their stories. Mm -hmm. Some of the gritty stuff too, like we, we, ha we have grit within us and- um, yeah. It feels like a, firstly, a huge responsibility, which is really scary, but at the same time, a real honor to be able to immerse myself in the stories of the women that I'm writing about. Um, I don't know whether you had like any sort of similar moment where you sort of felt, I don't know, in awe of being able to write about others. You know, real, some of the people in there are real people, like writing about their lives. Yeah, some of the, some of the people in the, in the book are real people. It was, yeah, it kind of felt, like for example, the Sarah Reed story from from the prison story, which is a very real story. Say her name, um, Sarah Reed, um, who was killed, and and I just wanted to sort of put her in the book as a real story, nestled between some fun or something light or something imaginary, just to go that you know this is this is actually happening. This is actually real. Um, yeah, it was important to me to put those real voices in there. Um, um, there was a piece in the Irish Times the other day and they, they they were very kind about the book. But one thing that I noticed that they picked up on is how many of the deaths that I've included were preventable deaths or deaths that were not, you know, deaths that could have been prevented, where women were not protected, where women were not saved, where, where and, and that, that really, really resonated with me, the way that they wrote about that. Um, that was great that wow. they picked up on that. Yeah. Wow, that's really powerful. And mm -hmm. really sad, really sad, yeah. but very powerful because it's important to our, for us all right now in this time of kind of really ever present kind of like a collective trauma or uh, a very real discussion on mourning and mortality. We must remember how much women go through. We mm -hmm. must. We must. Um, uh, if anyone's got any questions, by the way, and you're watching, you're like, I'm itching to get involved in this project, <laughs> then you can. We will be taking questions at the end. It's not just me, just fangirling, honestly. <laughs> oh, fangirling back, Gemma. I'm like, ah, Gemma. <laughs> um, please do feel free to... Cheers, everyone. Yeah, cheers, everybody. I hope everyone's having cheers. a Cheers. I've got a little rum and coke. Mm. Delightful. Um, who are your inspirations? Selena. Who are my inspirations? But I try to get as many as possible into the book. Um, in the book, Mrs. Death is a shapeshifter. 
Um, so she appears as different women. Um, she appears as the girl that's giving you your uh, selling your tobacco. She appears as the lady cleaning in the hospital. These are heroes of mine. The people, the the invisible women, the women that the, you know nurses. We, um, uh, but then also you know Nina Simone is in there. Mrs. Death appears as Nina Simone and Billie Holiday, um, and this kind of idea that she shapeshifts as different ghosts and hauntings. Um, I try to get as many heroes in there as possible. There's a, shall I read a little bit from the heroes yeah, chapter? Please. Actually, I, that that's just, you've just made me think I should do that. Okay, give me two seconds. Two seconds, two seconds. Um, so the heroes chapter is next to a chapter about Bowie and a chapter about Prince. I'm just going to read a little bit. So this is the, the bit that I read for Lauren. I'll come in here. So imagine, this is Mrs. Death speaking. Your heroes are here. Your heroes are already here, darling. I see your heroes. I follow them. I watch them. They keep going and never stop. Your heroes are never giving up on their dreams. I see heroes at the food bank. Your heroes are at homeless shelters. They take food to people sleeping in doorways. Your heroes are itinerant and broke with no funding or arts grants. Your heroes are in Calais and Dunkirk. They wait by the shores of the Mediterranean seas and volunteer to help the capsized boats and refugees. Your heroes are on the borders. Your heroes are down in Soho, donating and distributing food and blankets. Your heroes are working overtime in the crumbling NHS A&E departments. Your heroes are your doctors and nurses, your teachers and volunteers, people taking phone calls at the Samaritans and talking people down from the edge. Your heroes march for human rights and the future of the planet. Your heroes are a million schoolchildren protesting for the climate strike. Your heroes write graffiti and poetry. Your heroes are everywhere. They walk among us. Your heroes are waking up every day, skint and underpaid and busking it. Your heroes are making work, beautiful books and music and art that you cannot see or find or read as it is drowned out by all the propaganda and noise and adverts and the fear-mongering and the performative cruelty of politicians. It is your job your only job, to seek out and support and nurture your heroes. This is all your responsibility. We can all do our part in the chain, to help others, to help others, to help the others who help the others, who inspire and help others. Find the others. You are losing your libraries, museums, galleries, independent bookshops, pubs and music venues. So the beautiful spaces where thinkers and writers and artists could meet and share work and gather and blossom and dream are being erased. The survival of the hero is up to you all now. It is important now more than ever to fight for all of this, to fight for your rights, for your freedoms, for your art, poetry and music. Because we all need to be heroes to step up, to speak up, to support each other. It is all about kindness and you need the doers and the creators. You must pay attention to the ones who listen and hear and do and can and will and share. And to the people of science and art, books and music. Otherwise, what is the actual point of all of this? What was the point? Why are you all here? If not for that, you are here for love, to share the love. When hate is rising, then love can only raise higher, rise higher. When love is rising, then love can only rise higher. We stare deeply now into the charcoals of winter and watch the last flames lick the chimney. The fires leave the sky and dance into the everything. All the warmth and all the joy is boiled in a soup of memory. We stir the good stuff, stir the good stuff up from the bottom of the pot. 
hold the ladle up, drink, we say. Look at all the good chunks of goodness. Take in your share of good times, good music, good books, good food, good laughter, good people. Be grateful for the good stuff. Life and death, we say, drink. Oh, Thank you. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I get it framed. <laughs> I, I mean, in some ways, yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking to the converted in the sense that I think if you give yourself the gift of reading and you buy a book, and you love culture in the way that you do, you know, in like a sort of really visceral way, um, then we are lucky. We are all lucky. And everybody watching this is lucky because we, we have those tools. What about those that don't? How do we get them to hear that? That has been my, pretty much my lifelong mission, Gemma. Yeah. I don't really, um, I haven't really, how can I put this? I haven't really done anything else with my life but do this, okay? Do poetry and writing. That was my thing. That's what I like doing. And I hustled and hustled and worked really hard to try and figure out how to make people pay me to write poems <laughs> and how to get, uh -huh. how to get, <laughs> hustle and hustle and that, and, you know, and getting little things published and DIY, making my own things. But even when I do, every time I do a gig, every, you know, every time I do a performance or when, or or share a poem, I'm always aiming for the person that says they don't like poetry. I'm always aiming for the one. I think my greatest um, compliment is when an awkward boyfriend comes up to me that's been dragged to a book gig by a girlfriend or, you know, and gone, well, I don't really like poetry, but I like yours. And that to me is like, that's yes, I've won another one. I've won another one over. That's definitely been my thing. I, um, you know, if you can imagine doing a gig and everyone stands up and starts going, imagine if you had to lick it or whatever, one of my silly poems or one of my jokey poems, I mean, and everyone gets up. And I'm always looking for the one that's not joining in. I'm like, well, how can I reach you? So I haven't got an answer, but I am acutely aware. I'm acutely aware when you have 100 people and 99 people are on it and one person is going... And I'm like, what is your problem? I want to know. You know, that's a mission, isn't it? It's something oh, we all we all have to work on. Mm -hmm. It is a mission, and I think as well we have a responsibility. Um, we in again, we are lucky. We are at the public facing side of of the creative sector. I always see that. I I have a lot of gratitude for that, so I can sort of learn my lessons openly <laughs> and enjoy the things that have kept me happy you know like and, and share them but i think that actually perhaps if there was this train reaction that chain reaction where there was this ripple of love where we could say to people don't forget don't forget to invite everybody in don't forget to tell your neighbors or drop them mm. don't forget how brilliant snail mail is and how you can how good it feels to touch the postcard that you can write with your kids and lick the stamp. Mm. Like, and I think, um, and playing music, my goodness, I really missed music uh, in terms of, I felt like it was sort of leaving culture in a really weird way anyway, in mm. terms of that sheer love of music, that sort of cult kind of feeling about it. And I was like, oh my God, why is everyone just constantly going to bars and drinking ale and like, and talking about mortgages like i really really miss <laughs> dancing no. i think that my life was like more powerful when i danced regularly like in terms of healing mm. like self-healing of some sort um yeah. the ritual of dancing and music and i think it was sort of being like taken out i was i'd get on my high horse quite a lot about how it was evaporating from mainstream culture and it was pissing me off to be honest and uh and then suddenly, you know, 2020 happens and it's, uh, and it's properly gone. Everything's gone in a way, but it's not, you know, mm -hmm. and I found myself like yearning for to touch books and to read, mm. to, to like, like love being in candlelight or, or, um, listen to full albums 
all the way through yeah well it had a whole bar <laughs> and have and and audiobooks i've really got into audiobooks i think yeah. they're amazing um but i think hope is an energy and I think hope is contagious. I think it's. I think hope. If it's, it's like something you have to keep rubbing it like a genie in a bottle. You have to keep feeding it like a plant, yeah. and then passing the plant along. Um, oh, I've I've got all my analogies mixed up, but I do. No, I, get it. I, get it. I think I get it. of hope as an energy. It's a group project. It yeah. isn't something. It's you know. So for example, that amazing moment with Amanda Gorman amazing young poet in america in inauguration yeah. day yeah. beautiful moment but the hope that energy it was like ripples going boo, 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 and you just felt it and i love that about poetry and i love that about words and i love that you know that you carry that hope on and that's what poetry is supposed to do i think that's the that's the job that was a good job she did there it, mm. yeah she did she really really did and um yeah i was watching with my new boyfriend who's american so it like took on its like a whole other sort of zone as well I, I felt it in a way whereas just as an observer I feel like a lot of American politics can become quite caricature but then suddenly when you like when love is involved <laughs> like it's like <laughs> a whole other kind of vibe um but I, I another thing that has made me fizz over the past year has been uh, Kay Tempest's essay, a published essay on connection about creativity yeah it made me fizz as I was reading it about the power of creativity and Kay's amazing. Yeah. Kay is just otherworldly amazing. Yeah. They are our <laughs> part of our modern time. Absolutely. And, and but there were so many things. I was reading it and underlining lines because they're so good at summing up how I how a lot of us feel, you know. Um mm -hmm. And uh, and I just think it is so important to just keep sharing, keep sharing. Yeah. I, mm. every, every creative I know, I was like, if you haven't got this, then you're doing yourself a disjustice because we are reconfiguring what this world is, you know? And we need to be loud. Like, I want to hear music coming from my neighbor's like, house on a Friday night. Because <laughs> it's therapy. I, wanna, I want people to know that poetry is banging, you know? Like, mm. Saves lives in a very strange sort of ridiculous way, but um, yeah, th thank you for for putting together this book. What's next? <gasps> is death? Because I hear rumours. Oh, I don't know what's next. What's next? I don't know. I don't you know. tell me. You tell I me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's next. Well, I've got an I've got an order on a cardo, and uh, <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> some nice cheese <laughs> well i'm excited that um idris elba has got the film rights to mrs death mrs death so that's exciting and um, we'll see what green door productions green door pictures productions does with that um yeah i can't really tell you anymore because it's all it's all under little secret little secret things okay. at the moment just just enjoying seeing this book come to life seeing this book be an actual book after so, such a long journey, such a long time, I think I've wanted to, you know, like I said, all I've ever really wanted to do is, is make books and write books. And so this is a really big moment for me and I'm very excited and amazed at the response and people have been so kind. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Getting emotional. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's wonderful and, and what a great sort of, time you know what an amazing thing to suddenly be given the opportunity to do what you're born to do <laughs> that's great does it feel really emotional does it feel like how does that feel when your dream comes true i think i've had moments where like some dreams of mine have come true but i'm i'm very i am interested is as somebody like you say who sees themselves perhaps in the past as a hustler well i made i started this work from a place of great anxiety and sadness and grieving and the day and as it's published i'm also still in this place of anxiety and grieving and mourning there's some very heavy things going on in my personal life and and i'm sure you know uh, people that are reading this book are going through a very similar thing so it feels like I'm kind of, we're kind of forming a circle or something, holding hands with people through words, through the book. Um, 
obviously I didn't picture it like this. Obviously we would be, you know, rolling around in the gutters of Soho by now after seven days of hard drinking if this was normal times. Um, uh, you know, if it was, if there was no pandemic, I mean. Um, but yeah, so I, it's it, it, it's a dream, it is a dream come true. But again, it's nothing is ever how you imagine it's going to be. I certainly didn't, um, you know, I finished and handed in the book before COVID and everything, and and I was already in a in a place of a feeling of panic and before before that, you know, it's a, the pandemic was like extra cheese, right. extra extra worry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hear you. Um, so there is some sort of catharsis in writing it down and feeling less alone. I think. Mm -hmm. I, there must be there must be something in that yeah the catharsis but also um yeah i mean just you know the book is 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 a kind of a big ball of love grief and fury and it switches it's it's like a and it kind of moves so you know and it moves in waves but i think grief is like that mourning is like that life has been like that you have these really numb days and then you have these really angry days and you have these really quiet crying days it's it's, it's been like that so the book is kind of mirroring how 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 that is and how we are now yeah and we're all a little bit softer and kinder for it i feel it i feel like people have we've found a collective like humility do do we mourn differently in different countries we do we really do but i i i believe that we um mourn differently in different counties I just just when I was um, about to publish this, um, about to start touring and working with this, I was putting little tiny excerpts of the book in my poetry gigs. So just wanted to see what it would feel like. It wasn't I didn't have a book deal. I didn't know if what was going to happen, but I just want to just want to test it a little bit. And it's incredible. I think that there is a geography of grief. I think that in different parts of the country, in this, you know, we grieve slightly differently. I read the same excerpt in Scotland and everyone was like, and it was like, and it was like a, a wake kind of feel. And I thought, oh, well, the book's going to go down well in Scotland. And then I got very excited. And then I read exactly the same excerpt in Bloomsbury, in a theater, in Bloomsbury Theatre, and everyone was crying. I was crying. We were all hugging at the bar afterwards. I was like, is that... Do we do we cry easier in the south? Is it, it? And then I tried the work in a theatre in Midlands in Leicester, and and I read the same excerpt, just this little and uh, total silence. And I thought, oh, I've done it. I've really kind of died on stage. Ha ha, pun died on stage. But yeah, I was like, oh, what have I done? Sort of thing. Because well, I'll quickly go back to the old funny material. Total silence, and then one woman just got up and went, "Beautiful, beautiful!" And then everyone started clapping and roaring. So there's just like this sort of delayed reaction. So I, I think once wow. once well, restrictions have lifted, I'd really like to test that to see if if we mourn and if funerals and talking about funerals is different in different bits of the country. So you know, closer to home. Um, yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah, the different the language and the rituals. Yeah, and something and sums up something that I feel because I'm very very enthusiastic and um, curious in terms of travel and adventure. I don't want it to just be Bear Grylls that's seen as a as the sort of person that goes travelling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out there because I do too, and uh, <laughs> and I don't necessarily like you know do it in a pair of khaki shorts. But I am very curious about culture and how it changes and how it gives you something, or as you say, something as sort of big as death, county to county. And again, sums up the UK in some ways. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Mm. We have a lot going on here, don't we, on this weird island? <laughs> we do, we do. We're a crazy little island. Help, get me off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I wanted to ask you what you thought about another incredible writer, Michaela Cole. <gasps> wondering whether you watched I May Destroy You. I love her and I loved I May Destroy You. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I think she's amazing. 
I think she's absolutely stunning. I'd like to buy her a beer. Yeah. Uh, Oh. I would love to get drunk with her. I yeah. think she's amazing. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I have hung out with her in Ghana, which was awesome. No way. Yeah. You are such a rock star. <laughs> I was making a program. She was very strange, like sort of coincidentally there. Um, yeah, which was cool. Oh, um, that's really cool. She is very cool. But I wanted to talk about her work because I believe that I May Destroy You is like an incredible example of modern art in my mind. And I, yes, I am paid to exaggerate, but I really, I think there's something so new about that mm. piece of work that it's more than a program, it's more than a series. Yes. And then now everybody's talking about it again in quite a defiant way, in a way that I find quite moving because it hasn't been nominated for any, any Golden Globes. Um, mm -hmm. And I wonder, and a lot of people are outwardly saying, which is often the elephant in the room, is it because she went there and talked about trauma? Is it because she's black um, and a woman? And, and powerful and knows her, own knows her own mind and has spoken out about um, how she wants to do her art and has spoken about being individual and ha having her own mind and her own she's spoken out about how people try to rip her off and how she's had to be work really hard to keep her individuality and to do things her way is it because of all that mm -hmm. however there is a piece of me that that hears my mother's voice in my head right there because this this kind of stuff comes up a lot my mother's my mother was always like go where the love is like go where the love is you didn't need those people you know, to do what you did, to make what you made, to be who you are. So it's kind of annoying that you that you need them for a, to hold a little prize up, you know? And I agree. And I'm yeah. at that point. I'm at that point having been a woman, a woman of colour, and one that has, like, insatiably wanted to grow, you know, within my practice, within my craft, etc. Like, I didn't go to university. I, no, nor did I. Yeah. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference. It gives yeah. you like a different journey. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't have that extra privilege. You won't even talk about like white privilege necessarily because it's a whole other conversation. But just a privilege of education. It's mm. giving you that 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 kind of air of feeling like you you can absolutely do something. Yeah, I mean, I tried to compensate. For, for that, for not going to university by just reading everything, you know, just, you know, I had my library card and I used it. I was so skint, to be honest, the library was the warm place. I couldn't, my house was freezing. I didn't have any money for the meter for electricity. So, you know, hanging out in the library is kind of what, you know, where it was at. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles and, but I think it's just, just so distracting is the word I'm looking yeah. for. Why yeah. do I, I don't, why do, I didn't need these things to make the work. I didn't need this pat on the head in the first, so why do I feel like I need it? You know, I'm, I really try and hold on to that because I think it's, it, there's some competitiveness and I'm, I'm competing with tomorrow because every time I start writing, I look at what I wrote yesterday and I'm like, rubbish, you could do it better. You could yeah. do it. I'm, a, I'm my own worst, harshest critic. Yeah. So it's very, very rare that I look at a piece of work and go, oh, that's ooh, okay. I, I, I can see no extra edits to do. Like yeah. I'm constantly editing. I'm constantly seeing, oh, where I could polish things. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, well, mm. you know. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm, I'm you know, can see improvements all the time so that that takes up quite a lot of my head anyway so never mind what yeah. everyone else's journey is or everyone else's path is or everyone else is making but mm. i would say i would say in like a sort of fist pump you know on a positive like that the reality of some of what we've just discussed is just the reality of like being in a world which is really easily like picked apart and being part of a huge monster potentially if you decide to engage in the media of any sort um but at the same time i feel hopeful because it is changing the mm. fact that we're having this conversation the fact that your book is what it is the fact that it is going to become something you know even bigger and and become a film in the sense of like bigness or whatever mm. it, the landscape is changing and like you say like your mom said thank you to your mom go where the love is That's and, it. It, and it requires a slight sense of bravery a bit of soul searching perhaps because it's a bit like not like what everybody else necessarily is doing or caring about and it's 
I mean, there are out there, but mm. you know, there's a mainstreamy idea of kind of what it means to succeed, but it is changing. And I think that-, that I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, Gemma, it's changed so much since the since the nineties. I mean, it 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 is changing really slowly. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like it to speed up its changing a little bit, but uh, but it is changing. I promise you, because um, when I was starting out in nineteen ninety four, I was very often the only girl, very often the only person of color. You know, very you know, it was a very very white male thing to do poetry. Yeah, um, yeah, I was you know, it was a bit like um how news pa um, game show panels look now with the one girl. You know, yeah. that's how poetry gigs always used to be. One girl and the rest all men kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, but it's not like that now. There are some incredible, you know, young um, girls and girls and boys and other coming through. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and, I, and thank goodness it is. It, it keeps me going. That It's changing. I've been doing my job as a broadcaster for over 10 years now and, I, and I'm seeing, I'm feeling a, a shift in, uh -huh. in some of the bullshit. <laughs> <Some of it. laughs> um, we've got a load of questions. Would you like Have that? Have we? Okay. 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 Um, thank you everyone for listening and enjoying and engaging by the way. Um, a lot of lovely questions. Okay. A lot of people just going, yes, as well. <laughs> we all share the role of keepers of hope. If one person can keep hope alive, we still have a chance. I miss the gutters. I miss the <laughs> gutters. Lisa, Lisa <laughs> loves the bucket. <laughs> oh, hello, Lisa. <laughs> Francis says beautiful. Hi, Francis. Anna says amazing. Hi, Francis. Um, a lot of people are just really enjoying it. This is from Terry. It's quite a deep one. Do you think that energy is eternal and the universe is infinite? And if so, how do you think um, we can most meaningfully frame death? Whoa, Terry, dude. Okay, I do think that everything is eternal. Um, I think I've got very old blood. I feel very old. I feel like I've been here a few times. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the stories in the book kind of are little echoes of some sort of DNA memory. Um, and death is part of the journey of life, which is part of the journey of death and which is part of the journey of time. In the book is this kind of love story. I haven't talked about this before. There's this love story, time, death and life. So you've got the two sisters, death and life and time and, and the three of them and their relationship is kind of in the book. It's funny, I've never even talked about that. in a. But yeah, that, so, so I talk about that in the book there and, and I can't really express it better than the way I wrote it so please read the book yes if you haven't if you're watching this and you haven't got the book and you're thinking about it you can buy it definitely uh do and uh, get the gold one because it's well cool or perhaps <laughs> buy the gold one for someone that you love what did you think of Amanda Gorman's reading at Joe Biden's inauguration? I mean, we discussed it, but it'd be nice maybe perhaps if you discussed it maybe perhaps from a critical poet perspective Oh, I, 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 I thought it was flawless. I thought it was passionate. I thought it, it sounded gut. It, it came from the guts. It came from the heart, and I loved that. She was, she was an, an incredible speaker. She wasn't shaking. She wasn't nervous. She wasn't worried. She had something to say. And after years and years of seeing that horrible orange man, seeing that beautiful bold girl speaking her truth, it was fucking magnificent. Wasn't it? <laughs> Oh. Yay! <laughs> and she yeah. was so poised. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. in awe of her elegance, as you say, just sort of streamlined. And I love yellow as well. So she looked. Yeah, Ooh. I love yellow. I'm all about the yellow. Ooh, she was literally just like so fierce at the same time. Um, Selena, I loved what you said about reaching that lone person with poetry. I wondered who was your first poet that really spoke to you? Who was the first poet that really spoke to you? Oh, 
Well, as a kid, it would be Sesame Street. <laughs> so, so my love of rhymes and making up words definitely comes from a really early age. So Sesame Street. But that's not really the question. Um, um, so the question that's I lovely answer though. <laughs> yeah, that's my first memory of memorizing words off by heart and rhymes. And I had a Sesame Street album on vinyl. It's like my treasure. Amazing. Um, and um, I can still sing them all off by heart, but I won't now. But maybe <laughs> if we'd had a few more rums. Um, but it, I think it would probably have to be um, Maya Angelou. I think. Yeah, I think it. I think it would probably have to be. But I think song lyrics were a really big thing for me. Um, I was very, very, I've always been really, really into song lyrics and learning song lyrics off by heart as a young girl and as a young teenager. So that was a big thing. So then you're going into the territory of polystyrene and then you go into sort of a Naina Cherry thing. Oh, I love Naina Cherry. And then we go into sort of prints and lyrics and things like that. Um, so coming very much from a music thing for, for for the words and the feeling and the passion um yeah but i think maya angelou as in looking for someone that looked like me um it took me ages to to find to get into to find women writers because you know it's it was very it's very male dominated yeah yes i mean what a what a spirit maya angelou mm. i just am a massive fan Obviously, have you ever actually heard her music? Yeah, and seen her cool. her YouTube videos and things. She was she was so funky. I love her. Yeah, yeah. I recommend anyone that's a fan of Myra Angelou's work. Not only is she, you know, kind of like a yeah. great literary great, but at the same time, super fun, and mm -hmm. and she could she could bust some lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> um, Here's a question from Francis. If you had a fairy spell and could bring back one person from the underworld, who would you magic back to life? Oh, that's really difficult. <laughs> oh, she, oh, she, it's a mean oh. question. It's always me. Oh, oh, Francis. Don't make me choose. <laughs> it would be... What I would do is if I had fairy magic, I would fairy magic myself a magic bus so I could put lots of people in it and and I would probably put Janice Joplin in it and I would put oh. Prince in it and I'd put David Bowie in it and and it would be amazing. And Etta James, oh. I, really I really love her. And <gasps> Billie Holiday and Nina Simone and... Uh... Oh. Well, guess what? I've got a bus. Okay. Um, <laughs> you something. That's usually the type of thing that I find really terrifying, but you've got me there, babe. <laughs> um, this is a lovely question. So thought out. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Alex says, I first heard of you from Noah's Toilet. In light of what Gemma was saying about becoming more aware of being a woman after 10 years in youth culture, how do you think your writing and thinking has developed since Noah's Toilet? Oh, well, massively. I mean, massive evolution. I mean, Noah's Toilet, that's cold cut. So that's kind of 1996 Ninja Tunes. That's a long, long time ago. I think my work, I think I'm constantly growing and changing and developing and learning, trying to learn and, and you know, I think I'm 48 now. I think when I'm 88, I'm going to be brilliant. Yeah. If I keep if I keep learning and keep 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 trying. I love yeah. that. And I think I think this is the crack to genius in the sense that I think um, if somebody continues to keep learning, it is what life is actually about. Just they just don't tell you that at school. They mm -hmm. you. They're like you just mm. get this bit and then you buy a car and then that's it. Yeah, you're not <laughs> supposed to have all all the answers today. Yeah. Part, the whole thing is finding the answers and learning and picking up things along the way and and eventually it's a shame because then once you've got all the answers then you can go. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, oh, I think I don't know. There's magic everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, joking. <laughs> um, 
Oh, so many groups. Helen saying, so inspiring. Uh, Terry Logan. Thank hey, you. Terry. Um, so lots of love to you, sister. What is your heritage, by the way? I'm interested. I am a mix of Jamaican and Irish and English and Scottish. Oh, yeah, you are. That's a great mix. I'm quite, I'm quite Celtic Jamaican. I've got um, family that are buried in Edinburgh. Um, um, and my father was Irish. Um, we don't know much about his background because he was adopted by someone in Kent, by a single mother in Kent called Edith Godden. So that's where the Godden comes from. Okay. Um, and my mother's buried, yeah, my mum's Jamaican and she came over um, when my grandfather came to join the war effort. Yeah. Amazing. I'm Jamaican Scottish. Yay! <laughs> Sister! I've been listening to um, Mary Seacole's oh. audio version of her, her autobiography. I'm writing about her as well. She's going to be in my immortal sisterhood. But uh, uh, yeah, she the way she talks about being Creole and Scots, it's, it's quite... Yeah, it's nice. a good mix, I think, the kind of Celtic and Scottish... No, sorry, it's got like sort of Celtic-y, Scottish-y, Irish-y and Jamaican-y. Isn't that Bob Marley as well? Like, Bob Marley's yeah. Jamaican, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm about that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes, sister. <laughs> um, Lisa Love Bucket's back. She says, so modest, Selena, reminds me of this quote. The legendary cellist Pablo Caslas was asked why he continued to practice at the age of 90. He says, because I think I'm making progress, he replied. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's the way to approach this. Yep, yeah. So much to learn. So many books to read. Mm. There are so many brilliant, brilliant books to read. Yeah. And so little time. The next book that you're going to read. Ah, don't ask me that because then I've got to choose favourites and then someone will see this and go why didn't you plug my book oh, no, and no. then I'll get just tell me what and then I'll get in massive trouble ain't no politics this is the Friday chat <laughs> <laughs> um, no some amazing books that are happening we've got Musa Okwanda has got an amazing book Nikesh Shukla has got a beautiful book yeah. Nikita Gill has a new book coming uh, Courtier Newland's new book is amazing uh, this is just all in my brain. I've got a little radio show on Soho Radio uh, called the Roaring Twenties Radio. And if you tune into that, I do a lovely big book sweep um, every programme. So tune into that and I'll do, I'll tell you. I'm going to write that down. Roaring Twenties Radio. Yeah, it's just once a month and it's on Soho Radio. And I make the programme with Matt Abbott from Nymphs and Thugs and Amma Rose Abrams. And the three of us make this show and we called it Roaring Twenties and it's been going for, for a year. And of course, we started it before, you know, COVID and everything. And now it's like Roaring Twenties. It's like, whoa, what did what have we started? So, yeah, it, it's good. It's good. So it's just things people are making in lockdown and books and music and art and poetry. And, you know, and it, yeah, it's good. It's good. Check it out. Connection. And actually, you're really worryingly brilliant at the at my job in the sense that you actually just shouted out your product, like your producers gave it an <laughs> incredible product. I mean, we're there, babe. <laughs> so, so it's me going, so it's all written oh, inside my brain. This sounds really, really, really good. And also really important, I think that audio has taken on a whole other realm, particularly radio, mm. um, in the sense of shared listening. I think there's something so special about knowing that other people are listening at the same time as you in these times that could potentially be quite lonely so i think that's so true yeah recommendation because a lot of people are in their own heads and um and listening to a podcast or watching a netflix thing but i think like we mustn't let live disappear because it's super important and anything mm. can happen it's exciting too <laughs> <laughs> um what do you like to listen what do you have like is it, or is it quite jumbled do you listen to different... well I'm really I'm, I think I'm really to switch off and stop working which is quite difficult for me um I mean we don't work from home we live at work now don't we <laughs> like, yeah. um so I think yeah I really love listening to audiobooks and I like listening to dramatizations of books um and cooking a lot of cooking's going on 
So, so I really like listening to to all sorts and lots of podcasts as well. Yeah, it, my relationship to music. You were talking about this earlier. My relationship to music has really changed. Um, I'm listening to whole albums. I'm getting into an artist and and going, wow. I mean, I'd like to apologise to anyone that lives in East London. The other day, I rediscovered that I really loved. <laughs> Cat Stevens album Tea for the Tiller Man and I played it all the way through like about five times singing really <laughs> loudly where do the children play um, yeah and, and, I'm, um, and I really enjoyed that but I forgot Cat Stevens Tea for the Tiller Man what an album oh, I love you that know what? I'm so happy that you say that because it's exactly what I was banging on about earlier in terms of missing just the vibrancy and vitality of life and, and being a citizen of the world. And I I actually want to be the neighbor that hears Cat Stevens loud. I actually want it. Um, well, it was it was a good moment. I was like, wow, I haven't listened to this for decades. It was it was a moment. Is there anything new that's come out? Because I've been doing a bit of thinking about Oh, I'm really loving Arlo Parks. I think she's wonderful. So yeah. I've been listening to lots of lots of Arlo Parks. Celeste as well. Have you listened to any Celeste? She's quite sort of newish. She's a... Oh, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. I'll, oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of I like I like getting an artist and then kind of listening to everything. Yeah. I'm like I'm like that with books as well. If I like an author, then I want everything they've written. Do you do that? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Yeah, it's nice because you can immerse yourself in their world. Mm. Often, like really brilliant people have so many different things, <laughs> all sorts, all sorts. Um, I interviewed Michael Stipe actually for the Ledge Society um, and he again was somebody who like almost didn't really want to, it seemed like he didn't necessarily ever really want to be a massive pop star um, because he was such a creative mind, he was also a photographer and uh, so many different things, like so many different practices. Do you have, a, like if I did a Ledge Society view which the premises, I would uh, immerse myself in your particular pastime or passion or hobby? What is, is it cooking? Is it like, do you have like a weird thing that you lose yourself in? Or is it just like fun? I mean, what is it? Um, what, when I'm not writing? Yeah. That is the, that is, I don't think I ever, I'm ever not writing, even when I'm cooking, even when I'm out. I like going, okay, let's try and pretend that, that I'm normal, okay. <laughs> I really like riding my bike. I love riding my bike and I really like my caravan. Um, Richard and I have this tiny little 1970s caravan and I, I love bumbling around going away for weekends in that when it's safe to travel. Um, and it's tiny, it's a 1972 Sprite and we go somewhere random and we park up and we live in there and we have a little egg on toast and then go for a ride on the bike around countryside and forests and things. Oh, I love doing that. That's I really so love doing cute. that. I love that. Oh, I want to do a Ledge Society. Yeah. That sounds lovely. What a lovely thing to do. Well, it really revolutionised going to festivals because it meant I could take all my kimonos and all my dressing up clothes in the caravan. So that was really good. So really good for festivals, but um, yeah, yeah. But then we start. But then we started going out in it, not not in the festival, just like people, and that was very strange. What are we doing in a caravan? Where is the banging music? You know, <laughs> why aren't I queuing for a portaloo no, with like a rum in my hand? But yeah, so it's very. Um, but yeah, just going off and having lovely little adventures in that has been amazing. Um, but we're waiting until we can travel again before we can do that again. Where will be the first place you head to? Well, um, we had a lovely time in the Lake District last time we went. And I think next time we're going to go the other go towards Norfolk and Cromer. It's lovely around there. Really nice fish and chips. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I would love to chat more. I could chat to you for hours. I, could, I, could, I, I can't believe I just like, lovely fish and chips. It's lovely. This is what we have to appreciate, you know. Yeah. And, that, and there is something in it. Fish and chips are fantastic. And um, I, w I really would love to talk to you about clothes and style because you've got it in spades. And um... oh, thank you. <laughs> I, this this whole Mrs. Death thing. For some reason, I've I feel like when I'm reading this book, I need frilly shirts and pearls. So this is the theme. So I've got a little collection of pearly, this is what she wants me to wear reading the book. Yeah. Lovely. It's kind of, it. it's kind of, it's like the dress like the last time they had the plague. <laughs> <laughs> That's the vibe. It's like dress like, yeah, 17th century. It's more fun than that. <laughs> 
It's more fun. There's so much fun. 1980s plague. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is something I think is important to note is that there is a lot of fun in your work and in the book, and uh, we mustn't forget the joy of living. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You remind us that there is lots to celebrate and to, to think about and enjoy this life for. So. Uh, good luck with everything because I thank know you. all sorts of rumours about things that are to come and I'm excited for you um, and thank you for just being here for this Q&A on a Friday night Mrs Deaf, Mrs Deaf, it's out now thank you Rough Trade cheers thank you, thank you, thank you